My name is Jamie Atkinson, founder of podcastclosing.com, and this show is built for six and seven figure entrepreneurs with podcasts who are looking to grow and scale their customer acquisition using that show. If you're a six or a seven figure entrepreneur with a podcast and you want to get featured on this show to talk about your own podcast journey, go to top100interview.com. Now over to your glamorous host, Brittany Chaterbock, and don't forget to subscribe for daily interview content. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. It's Bashi here. Today we have a super exciting guest, Mike Mole. He works with solo marketers on product, positioning, pricing, sales, and marketing to help them sustainably move past the $20,000 per month revenue range. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. We're going to have some great conversation. We'll cover what's working, your podcasts, your recently paused podcast, but you're starting it up soon, um, your challenges and your goals. And I'm sure within that conversation alone, we'll have a lot of great takeaways. Before we jump in, do you mind telling us a bit about your story and where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So I fell into marketing by accident. I was working in sales in various different things. I used to sell flooring. I used to sell uh, advertising here and there, but I worked, I, I thought I had to have this big kid adult job. And I took a job with an insurance company um, in my early 20s. And I thought, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to, you know, get this job with a salary and vacation and benefits and all these fun things. Um, turns out it wasn't the right fit. <laughs> um, I had what I could describe as a, a bit of a nervous breakdown uh, at 27, 28. I just completely lost it in my car one morning. Uh, went into the office, quit that job with no backup plan, um, started an app two weeks later in my backyard with a good friend of mine. And then through that, through the challenges and the learning curves of that, I learned how Google ads worked and that turned into an agency over the course of about a year of, of failing the software business. <laughs> what was the app? Uh, it was supposed to, so it was called Gbot and it was supposed to be the grocery shopping robot of the future. That's, that was the premise. Uh, basically, we got Whole Foods on board and thought we could take over the world and realized how much work it was going to be. And we tried. We actually had developers. We were pumping cash into having it built. Uh, but I think, you know, structurally and as operators, we were not good at business at that time. And paying two software developers full time was impossible to sustain based on a revenue model and based on the fact that it took forever to launch. And so, you know, I think we had big dreams, but we put on the blinders and ran and, and a little bit too much, you know, you, you do need to, when you're building something, you do need to kind of put on the blinders and go all in. But I think you also have to have the dose of reality and keep an eye on, you know, what's, what's feasible. I remember, you know, vividly a couple of times, you know, it being a Wednesday and payroll being the following Thursday and being like, great, where are we at? We're $7,000 short for payroll. Okay, how are we going to make $7,000 this week? And it was just that constant, constant struggle because getting the product live took forever. So uh, happy to have stepped away, but learned a lot of lessons. I think that was the college education that I skipped was that year, basically. Did you go to college? No, no, I barely finished high school. Um, I went because I was appeasing my family. Uh, I made it through a semester, kind of, and that was basically it for me. I I knew, I pretty much knew as soon as I started. I just, my brain doesn't work under the stress of testing. 
it doesn't work in a classroom setting. I don't learn without doing. And so just none of, none of it was fitting to help me learn at that point. And honestly, I, I completely agree. I didn't, I didn't go to school either. And I felt the exact same way. I also barely finished high school. I remember I got, I was told, okay, you pass your gym class two days before graduation, but that's. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and to be honest, like my. I was going to say yeah, it's a typical entrepreneur story. Yeah. And my experience with it was so weird. When I was 15, I was making more money than my teachers. And so I was thinking, why should I listen to what's going on here? Like I just, I was making more than their salary working part-time when I wasn't at school. So I don't know, there was just something about it that didn't connect with me and I, I just never bought it. And it's harder to want to go to school when you know that you're making more than your teachers, but that's, <laughs> that's besides the point. So I'd love to know what was the turning point from, okay, so you, you have this app, it's not going as well as you guys wanted it to you decide, okay, you started, you want to start an agency. Why an agency? Why was that the next logical step? I won't call it logical. I'll call it lucky. So my business partner in the app had worked for Google ads business in the past. He walked us in to that office and just basically said, Hey, VP of sales, this is Mike. We start Monday, put him on salary. And I was like, I was like in a suit ready for an interview. And he just like literally walked in the door and he's like, he's got a job now. We'll see you later. I was like, <laughs> what just happened? Um, and so I had never experienced or had any touch points with marketing or Google ads or any of that in the past. And so as we were running the software business, we were working in these jobs to have some cash coming in. And I quickly learned about what, how they worked and how powerful they were. This is back in 2013. And so I kind of went from, you know, individual sales rep to a team of five, to a team of 25, to opening offices in Western Canada in a span of about eight months. And I just learned so much in that process. And so we had a couple of companies who had bought into advertising through the app. And at, and at the point I knew that the app was going down, I kind of said to all of them, I said, look, you've got this money in, it's experimental. You're expecting it to go to zero. If, it, if you keep it in the app, it's going to go to zero. So let me try something else with this. And so I spent an entire weekend watching YouTube videos on how to actually run Google ads, not just sell them. And then kind of came back on the Tuesday and said, Hey, this is the plan. If you're in, you're in, we're going to start running these campaigns for you. And I had two, two of the three said yes. And those two stayed on with me for about seven and a half years. So I had them for wow. a long time as marketing customers. Yeah. Wow. What do you wish that you knew back when you first started that you know now? I wish I understood the value of being good at something, not in relation to how you perceive other people's skill set and their longevity of their business, comparing yourself to, you know, this person's price because they've been doing it for this long is meaningless. When I now look around, I know people that have owned agencies for as long as I have, and they work on, you know, they get that, that 90 day contract. 80% of the customers that come in leave and it's this constant struggle to just keep getting new customers because they're not they're not good at it. But if I was brand new looking at this thing, oh, this person's got a decade of experience, who am I to charge what they charge for the service? It really is a meaningless number. So I think, you know, looking up to other people and assigning value to them, which then devalues what I feel like I can come in at in terms of pricing, in terms of my value to a situation. I wish I had a known that if you're good, you're good and you should charge for being good. 
How do you help your clients overcome that mental block? Yeah. So for me, I've worked with people in a ton of different industries over my 10-year career. The reason I'm focused on paid and performance marketers is because it's very easy to assign value to what we do. Whereas a website, harder to quantify. Whereas graphic design, harder to quantify. But if I'm running a campaign for you and I've got good tracking and I've got good analytics set up, I should be able to tell you the impact and the value of what I do. So it's a really easy conversation. Would you give me a dollar if I gave you four? Yes. Okay, great. And so if I can do that and I can show you that through reporting and through the analytics and through your sales, it becomes a very easy conversation of why you should keep working with me. Um, and so for a lot of people, they don't see it. They say, okay, well, I put in you know, 11 hours to this account every month and my hourly rate is $75 an hour. And so I should be at a certain price when it's, it's kind of like, it's a crazy idea to think like that. And so what I try and help people do is say, okay, if you're creating $10,000 in value, like, why can't you take 2000 of that? Like you're earning that they don't have that 10 without you, without you. Right. And so why not? 10, 15, 20%, depending on the margin, depending on the customer. Like why you, why can't you take $2,000 instead of 400, which is you know your hourly rate, your hours times your rate. So helping people unpack that and understand what they bring to the table, like a good marketer brings, you know, a future proofing of a business. And that's, that's, you know, you have to be able to close. It has to be a good product. Yes. But if you can't get leads in the door, if you can't get the phone ringing, then what does any of it mean? And so it's such an important role. And a lot of people see it as like the, the deliverables, right? Well, I'll optimize your account and I'll send you a report. It's not, that's not all that it is, right? You're, you're consulting, you're being a strategist, you're making the phone ring, you're providing the lifeblood to this business. So charge appropriately. And I, I help people really dissect the value they bring so they can charge more appropriately. Mm-hmm. What keeps you motivated? I just like this stuff. I, when I was growing up, I never knew what I wanted to do and be. I was a very unsupervised child from, from the age of 13 on. I had no real direction, no real mentorship. No, I didn't really have a path. And then I started selling and I was good at that. I started super young selling. Um, and I knew that, okay, I can, I'm persuasive. I can convince people, but it was always, it was practical stuff. It was, you know, hardwood floors and different projects and stuff like that. So it was stuff that people wanted, um, but it never really connected with me. There's something about marketing, the way I describe my like knowledge around marketing. And and I'll preface this by saying I'm useless at most things truly. Um, But the way I see it is, you know, you ever do you do puzzles? Not often, but yeah. So the, usually what happens is you take a thousand piece puzzle, you dump it out on a table. First, you grab every piece and you flip it over. So it's fitting right side up. And then you look for the borders and you try and push all those together. And then you find, you know, these patches of colors and you try and start blending the thing together. For some reason, I don't know what it is with marketing. It's when people are just finished flipping over all the, all the pieces face up, the puzzle is done for me. And I've, I don't, I don't know why. I didn't have any formal training and I've sat in rooms. I had a moment where I sat with a global food brand. They had about 20 VPs and directors and we were watching a presentation from their current agency and they asked me to sit in on it. And I just remember like three minutes in being like, you guys are wasting 
most of your money. Like, do you not understand how this works? And there was just this moment, like, I just get it. And so because I get it, I find it fun. And I, so it's, I just really enjoy the process and thinking strategically and being a problem solver in this, in this space. Um, it brings me a lot of joy. You were made for this. A hundred percent. I love it. Love it. Um, so you are at this about seven figure level now. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you face now versus when you first started and when you were at the six figure level? So I think the biggest difference is just moving pieces. And as the non-operator, as somebody who doesn't work well in the in the structure of having to put things in order and keeping track, like I'm the kind of person where if there's, you know, steps one through 10 and, you know, step four, oh, we got to wait two days for something to get done on step four. My brain forgets that, that the entire rest of that process happens. And so like, if it's not perfect sequence in the perfect order, when my mind is on it, I can't function in it. And so I rely very heavily on outside people. Like I don't, I don't, I have an operator, I have a personal assistant, anything that's detail oriented. Um, I hand off immediately because my brain just is, doesn't function in that space. And so I think that's the biggest thing. It's, can you find someone who can think about things the way you do, but have the opposite skill set? And it works the same way. Some people are more operators than salespeople. Some people are more operators than strategy. And so I think it's, you know, finding the right pieces and motivating those people. Like I hate when people leave because the idea of having to like form this bond with another person and, you know, realign and relearn, it's so stressful for me. And, you know, with that being said, I do have great operating procedures now. That was the biggest difference is actually having an operating procedure because I can lose somebody and in three weeks I could have somebody in and fully functioning in their in their role because we've got the training videos and the interactive stuff that we do. It's just so critical to be able to function at a high level because if you don't have that stuff and you lose a key person, it, it, everything crumbles so fast and you you lose so much momentum. And so I think that's probably the biggest uh the biggest thing that's helped. Mm -hmm. Actually, I've got another question regarding, you know, your transition from having an app to having an agency. Did you have trouble giving yourself permission to start over? <laughs> that's actually a very relevant question for me because I, in December, I actually just, this December, I actually just did it again. Um, at that time, no. Because at that time we were just burning through cash and I didn't have much. And it was like at a point where I was like, we gotta, this has to make money. And so it was this like real survival instinct thing. It was like, whatever, whatever it's gonna take, whatever's gonna make money. I, through selling the advertising, I think I had a little bit of a concept of, of okay, I, I get how this works. And when I'm explaining it to people, they understand it when I say it to them. So there's something I felt intuitively. So no, on, on that one, it was really just surviving and not running out of money. Uh, but more recently, I, I made a big shift. And that took me two years to act, to finally give myself permission to shut down one big thing and just go and experiment and have a year of discovery. And so that it, it took, I was in Africa, actually, and I just had this moment spending time with a family in like not in the desert but 
close to the Namibian desert where we were for a few weeks. And I just had this moment of like, life is too short. I can't just keep doing stuff I don't like doing. And even though I, I ran the agency the way I was running it for longer than I wanted, uh, it was fun to have that experience of giving yourself permission. So. so what was the shift that you made? What were you doing before versus what are you doing now? Yeah, so we were uh, primary, we've been running Google Ads for the last nine years as our primary thing. Um, I'm shifting to performance-based lead generation now. So it's been a big change. Um, luckily, my network and you know my history has gotten me into a client base pretty much instantaneously. So that's been good. Um, but yeah, the the agency as it was is is no is no longer. Um, the coaching business is the same. Like I'm still working directly with people, but my my agency, which was you know my primary moneymaker for years and years and years, is now um, the thing I'm restructuring and figuring out again. So. It's been pretty fun. So do you do you see a significant difference in in terms of clients, in terms of how much money you're making with the transition that you made now versus what it was doing before? Massive, massive drop off. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And that part was obviously the scariest in terms of, you know, am I going to give up stable, happy customers and revenue to explore again and i've adjusted you know i've adjusted a lot of things lifestyle wise and pace wise and things like that to accommodate for this um but i'm so happy that i did i'm having so i'm having so much fun being a marketer again just playing around with stuff uh, different experiments uh different softwares the ai stuff's pretty cool i'm not great at it yet but there's some fun you know there's some fun things that you can do within that um, I don't think it's ever a thing where I think everyone's worried about it taking over jobs. I think it's going to make people's jobs easier more than it is going to take over jobs, but I'm not smart enough to comment much on that. <laughs> I'm I'm inclined to agree with you regarding the AI, but I also I my my knowledge isn't isn't extensive on the topic. But let's go ahead and let's cover your podcast. So you used to have one, you stopped doing it for a little bit. What did you talk about before? And then why did you stop recording for a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So originally, this is my thesis and it actually worked very, very well. So my thesis was, I understand marketing. I can explain marketing simply. If more people heard me talking about marketing, I would make more money. That was the thesis. So I was like, okay, what could this show be? that would create that ecosystem for me, right? And so what I did is I reached out to random business owners who had like somewhat of an established business, but you know, that weren't massive businesses. And I said, hey, how would you like for me to give you free advice? You can ask me anything you want about marketing and I'll just answer it as like detailed as you want. We could cover multiple topics. We can go granular on one thing, whatever, whatever you want, whatever you want to know about. And they're like, yeah, of course, like I would love to have that. And I said, well, and I'll also do it for free. And then you could see the hesitation, right? <laughs> for free, but I'm going to record it and I'm going to put it on the internet. And so a lot of my, I think my first 50, 55 episodes were just me giving free marketing consultations online. And we did some really cool stuff, right? We named the episodes marketing ideas for blank market, like for whatever the industry was. And so we, I still get people that find my, my YouTube videos because they're, you know, marketing ideas for an interior designer is the name of my episode and the YouTube title. 
And so I'm like organically searched that way. Um, oh. What was cool is we, yeah, what was cool is we actually also ran YouTube ads for a period of time, just as like an experiment. So someone goes to Google and searches marketing ideas for a hip hop artist or marketing ideas for a real estate agent. We didn't buy an ad on Google search, but the next time that person went to YouTube, our video, our podcast came up as a pre-roll. And so imagine now that you're going to YouTube, the pre-roll ad pops up. The pre-roll ad is 58 minutes long, right? Like, which is insane. Mm -hmm. And we were, uh, we had an average watch time of 17 minutes and 21 seconds on our pre-roll ads. So I'm going to YouTube to watch something else. My podcast shows up and people were watching an average of 17 minutes of that video because the title was related to something they looked up on Google earlier. Um, so that's something we're going to start again because that brought us so many, so many eyeballs and, and so many phone calls. It was great. Very interesting. Very interesting. Kind of like that though. So then why did you stop recording? The, I had some people convince me that I had to, I should change the, 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 the way that the show function, bring on higher profile guests because expansion and visibility. And I kind of just fell out of love with why we were doing it. It just didn't feel, we weren't having the right conversations. Um, part of it was that part of it was, I, I think at that time I knew that I wanted to do something different and I wanted a different company and the leads that we were generating through the podcast weren't the right fit. But I also didn't know what to do. And at the same time, I lost my operator of six and a half years. And I was just like, it's too much. <laughs> I don't want to deal yeah. with it at all. So um, for those, those that all kind of culminated at the same time. And so it just felt like the right, the right thing to do. Um, I think we got, I think we published 88 episodes over two years. So we, we, we got pretty deep on it and it was all with video. I had a studio in my uh, Toronto apartment where we would film. And then obviously it went on zoom over time, but um, yeah, it was pretty fun and I'm really excited to start it back up. It's going to be rebranded as the sustainable agency podcast. So talking about building, uh, building your agency, like you mentioned at the beginning, you know, pricing, positioning, sales, marketing processes, hiring those types of things. And it's going to be some interviews and some solo, some Q and a stuff. I've, um, uh, I've also connected with, uh, someone that does breath work and meditation. So it's like, you know, meditation and breath work for entrepreneurs. Like, Hey, if you're in the middle of the day and you're feeling this, like this episode is for, to take care of that thing. So I'm trying to make it a little bit more holistic instead of just all informational. I'm, I'm trying to figure out some unique ways to have conversations, but also produce content or collect content that will be helpful for someone who's trying to build a company. Absolutely. I think having all those different kinds of topics all in one podcast is always a great idea. You know, it's like a one-stop shop for entrepreneurs to come check out what's up, what's up, <laughs> learn about sales, learn about pricing, learn about hiring and learn about relaxation techniques, which is very, very important as an entrepreneur where I feel like so many of us are so bad at handling stress. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm excited. I've got a handful of episodes recorded. Um, trying to get it over. And the one thing I like really struggle with is solo episodes, like me just talking to the camera. I'm so bad at it. Like I literally have to hire someone to sit across on the other side of the camera so I can talk to them and not just look, I, I don't know why I have this weird mental block. Like I've, you know, this is like, I think 
the 47th podcast I've been on in the last two years. So like no problem having a conversation, but when I get, it's just me, it gets so awkward. I can't figure out why. So trying to crack the code on that. <laughs> it's challenging. It's challenging. You're not, you're not the only one that feels like this. I've, I've spoken to a lot of other entrepreneurs who at first their solo episodes are like, oh, oh like, what am I supposed to talk about? Like, I'm not talking to anybody. I'm just talking to myself. You feel a little crazy. I feel like my voice and my tone and my body language goes to this, like I'm talking down at people and it comes across really, really shitty. I, I hate it. So I'm trying to work through the logistics of making that a better experience. Put a mirror in front of you. Right. Talk to the mirror. <laughs> so, but what were some of the biggest challenges, at least when you had the podcast around growing it? Hmm. You know, we, I really didn't focus on growth in the context of the charts in terms of subscribers. Like, yes, it was nice to have, and and it would never really gained a ton of traction, but what I would use them for is I would use them as a resource, right? So I would be talking to someone and they would say, yeah, you know, we we consider using your company. I was like, oh, why don't you, why don't you go listen to, you know, well, go watch this, this episode of whatever on YouTube. And so I was using it as material that I could send out. Someone could watch and be like, oh, I like the way, because it was truly unpacking the way I, I was thinking about marketing and my ideas and how, you know, and so someone would go and watch that and say, oh, you know what? Like the way that you think aligns with how I'm thinking about my business. I like, I trust you more now to do my marketing. So I really didn't focus that much on subscribers. Um, We bought some ads on YouTube and stuff, but it was more just having it. And the other big thing was if there was a business that I wanted to do marketing for, I would have the owner on the podcast right? So you create the conversation, you create the value, you know, you, as you know, the recording stops and there's this, you know, more relaxed conversation on the back end, And like, that's where a lot of like business gets done. That's where a lot of, you know, deep connection gets done. And so, you know, having that and being the, the host of the party, if you will, uh, has, has huge benefits. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's amazing for building credibility and authority. And like you said, people trust you when they, when they hear you, they know what you're talking about. They know that you know your stuff. It's a lot easier to sell to them. It's a lot easier to get them to want to work with you. And I like what you're doing where, you know, you, you send them to certain episodes so they can hear more about it, learn more about it. I think that's, it's a great, great tool for your business. Yeah. Yeah. It worked. It worked well. It worked really well. Yeah. So I've got one last question for you before we hop off. So it's no secret that there's, you know, there's a, there's a huge phase, at least that's what I've been seeing. A lot of young entrepreneurs are having a phase where they're like, okay, I'm going to start a marketing agency. I'm going to start a social media marketing agency. I want to do this. You know, what is, what are your pieces of advice for people who are in that position to, I guess, stand out from everybody else? It's a great question. I think the way that the only real differentiation, because believe me, I've been pitched by, I've pitched, I've seen so many different proposals. I've worked with agencies directly on how to improve all this stuff. Like none of what we do in the context of the deliverables is unique. So take it out of your mind that you're going to be like, oh, well, the way that we report on this is game-changing. Nobody cares. Most of the time, your client's not going to read your report. They, they, they couldn't care less. So you are, and the way that you 
develop strategy and the way that you put their work and their business out into the world, that is the different, that is the only point of differentiation. And so I would say focus more on how the way that you think about it, whatever, it, whether it's a, a Google ad, whether it's a, a social media, like how is your unique spin going to make that other person's business better? And in a lot of cases, like we turn away most of the sales opportunities that come in because we're not aligned with that company in terms of what they need. So I think it's about being honest about who you can help and trying to narrow it down, whether you want to call it niching down or just getting a little bit more narrow on like, okay, our style or the way that we do deliverable A, B, and C works really well for this type of person. And it could be an industry. It could be a type of brand. It could be a type of, op it could be a type of owner too, right? Sometimes it's just, you need to connect with an owner and just figure out what that looks like, because those people are going to be, when they connect with you, like I show up to most meetings with customers in like a t-shirt. I mean, I live, I've lived in Mexico for a few years. Like sometimes it's a tank top. And so someone who's offended by, you know, a, a very casual look, I'm like, I just don't, I don't connect with you. And so I don't want to work with you. And I know in the early stages, it feels like, well, I just need to get revenue in and I have to say yes to whatever comes in the door. Agreed. Like you got to do what you got to do. You know, don't run out of, <laughs> don't run out of money is the number one goal. But I think it's, it's be deliberate and re and spend the time on the customers that you like working with and figure out what that common thread is and then try and find more of those people because you posting content for someone or making websites for someone or running ads for someone, it, it's the same. There's nothing groundbreaking in the process, but the way that you connect with them, the way that they trust you, the way that they want to continue to work with you, that, that usually is it. And as long as you can get them results, um, you know, that, that's it. So it's, it's figure out who your perfect avatar is um, and leverage the engagements that are going well and the people you like working with and figure out what's, common amongst them and try and find more people like that so niche down all right mike thank you so much for coming on the show um if anybody's looking to get in contact with you what is the best way for them to find you uh you can just pop onto my site mike mall m-i-k-e-m-o-l-l.co um yeah that's probably the best way all right awesome once again thank you so much for coming on all right thanks Group, if you're listening and enjoyed, please like and subscribe. If you're a six-figure entrepreneur and would like to come on the show, please visit top100interview.com. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I hope you really enjoyed that episode. As always, if you want to listen to more daily interview content, make sure you subscribe. And here's three ways I can help you in your business for free. One, check out my video on how we're building a pipeline that produces 30 plus prime sales calls every single week using podcast setters and a basic interview funnel. And this is actually how I was able to quit social media forever. You can go to podcastrebels.com forward slash setters. Two, if you're a six or a seven figure entrepreneur with a podcast, we actually want to interview you on one of our top 100 shows. Head to top100interview.com. And then three, download our podcast closing formula. It shows you how to create a podcast sales team that books out your sales calendar each week using the podcast closing client attraction method. And you can go to podcastrebels.com forward slash podcast formula. Now at podcastclosing.com, we help six and seven figure entrepreneurs with podcasts create a system for predictable client acquisition 
without relying on paid advertising or social media by building out podcast sales teams. Now, if you want help turning your podcast into a high ticket client acquisition machine, then book a call with our team to see how we can help. Go to podcastrebels.com forward slash chat. All right, guys, we'll see you in the next interview.